Hello, this is Adrian Savino, and you're listening to Circulated. On today's episode, we are joined by James Nelson. James is the principal and head of Avis & Young's Tri-State Investment Sales Group, where he leads a team of three dozen professionals selling multifamily, office, and development deals. He has 25 years of experience, and his team is part of Avis & Young's top sales professionals. James has also been included on the Commercial Observer's Power 100 list and has been named as one of CoStar's power brokers. James, welcome. Thanks, Adrian. Great to be back. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, carving out time from the schedule is always appreciated. So let's uh, we'll dive right in. Kind of want to get your um, this is serving as like a Q3 iSales update. So I want to get your kind of perspective on the market in Q3. Uh, we can transition into Q4 and end of year. Wanted to get your kind of take on dollar volume from a transaction perspective, overall sales. You know, the real deal put out a pretty uh, grim article the other day about you know transaction volume being at two-year lows. Um, you know, transactions off forty percent from from twenty twenty-two. One point six billion is traded. So, just wanted to kind of get your perspective if you can set the stage for the listener. Sure. So, and I'm reading from our third quarter report that we just released. So, yes, unfortunately, this year, if you annualize dollar volume, and we we track multifamily retail office and land sales above $5 million, uh, with the exception of retail, where we dip down to a million and a half, where we see a lot of these retail condo sales. And if you annualize the dollar volume this year for New York City, it's coming in below $10 billion now, $9.59 billion to be exact. And unfortunately, this is less than a third of the 10-year average, which is $34.2 billion. Uh, and yes, uh, less than half of last year's $21.5 billion. So I know I'm throwing out a lot of dollar volumes, but I think it's important to set the context where we in relationship to the 10-year, where we in context with last year. Uh, so, and then Manhattan, uh, again, the, the sales are similar drop off. So, I mean, we, we, we could talk about what's what's happened as far as building count. What's, what's interesting is the number of sales have not fallen. Um, it's, it's such a drastic pace. So last year, 2022, there was 536 sales across New York City. This year, 469. So what does that mean where there's been a much sharper drop off in dollar volume? What is lacking clearly is these billion dollar plus mega transactions, the big office deals that really drive dollar volume. But the middle market capital market space is still no doubt has slowed down, but is not off to the the, the same level. So again, what, what that looks like when we're talking about a, a quarter over quarter drop is in New York City, there's been a 21% decline in dollar volume from Q2 to Q3, but number of sales only, in quotes, off 12% from Q2 to Q3. And I think, Adrian, I, I always say when citing market stats that these are rear view mirror indicators. So if we're talking about what happened in the third quarter, we're really talking about what was happening with contract executions uh second quarter maybe even earlier this year as some of these deals were pushed off a of close and what we've certainly been battling since june of last year is as soon as interest rates started to go up what that did is not only start putting downward pressure on pricing but what it really did also was put a lot of the buyers on the sidelines because what there was was uncertainty 
And when investors think that rates are going to continue to go up, they don't know where is it going to stabilize. And so a lot of buyers have been just waiting really for opportunities, assuming that pricing will come down, that there'll be distress, there'll be better opportunities. And they're also looking for interest rates to level out where you can start to think about what cap rates are going to look like in a couple of years and feel like you're going to get that, that benefit. So uh, the good news is we are starting to see traction in the market. I mean, we see it, our team, we signed six contracts last month. So I think sometimes when we meet with owners, the sense is, oh, well, nothing's happening. Well, that's not accurate. We are seeing a lot of activity in the multifamily side, the mixed use side, we're seeing transactions, but for the most part, they're on the smaller side. The bulk of the, the deals that are getting done right now are $25 million and under. And that's really because those deals are not as dependent on financing. A lot of those are bought cash. We're seeing a lot of foreign buyers come to the market. We're also seeing a lot of end users, uh, which could be the saving grace for office. We're seeing a lot of end users step up and buy buildings. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get into more details on the asset classes as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually talking to Fritz about uh, your closing at Eagle and Greenpoint uh, yesterday. So it's a, you know, kind of a, a picture of health for for the market. And to your point, I think parsing out the middle market, you know, maybe the larger deals aren't there, but the middle market, you know, sub 25 million, uh, still pretty healthy. So that's, you know, kind of a bright spot, hopefully. Um, What's interesting, I was reading in, in, in the real deal was that, you know, 80% of the uh, deals in, in, in Q3 were market rate or 421A and, and only 16% were rent stable. Uh, another four were, were affordable housing. So in, tr- in terms of kind of market rate, 421A and some like, you know, trends moving into maybe end of year or 2024 with regard to development sites, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, flight to market rate quality and flight to 421A and if... We're talking 421A. Where in the tax abatement are you seeing people, you know, kind of comfortable buying? Or is it closer to the end? Are they longer term, you know, holders? Is it, you know, kind of a, a shorter burn off where they're okay with buying and holding for a bit to assume that, you know, that pop in rent? Um, if you can kind of run us through that, that would be helpful. Sure. So first of all, just to address the demand for fair market product or predominantly fair market, there's no question that with you know, post 2019, where rent stabilized units are are suddenly uh, put into a permanent state where your increases are capped, a lot of investors immediately started shying away from that product because here your increases are capped based on whatever the rent guidelines board uh, gives every year, but in many cases, your expenses are not capped. So uh, investors immediately said, look, if I'm gonna buy a fully regulated building, I'm going to have to get a lot more yield from that day one because that's probably what I'm going to have to live with. Uh, conversely, what that did was that put a lot of uh, demand for fair market units. And Adrian, you could certainly speak to this on what's happened with rents. I mean, the last stat I saw, and I know that maybe rents came down a little bit last quarter, but I think at one point year over year, we were looking at about a 9% increase in rents. Yep. And that was really because with those regulated units really frozen in time, it's just unfortunately put a lot more demand on the fair market units. And what's going to make that even more challenging for the future is with the expiration of the 421A, which helped incentivize developers to build. As soon as the 421A expired, we saw that land sales dropped 75%. So, and at this point in time, there's still um, 
there's not a replacement for the 421A. And I can tell you, because we speak to developers every day, that pretty much all developers are pencils down on market rate rental. So you're really seeing that the two ends, the barbell, either fully affordable or condo, uh, assuming they can be financed and that there's equity for that. Now, as far as existing 421A product, uh, there certainly is still some core demand for fresh 421A that were introduced over the last couple of years, grandfathered, uh, and the newest program has a 35-year abatement. So a lot of core type investors, long-term investors like the predictability to know that their taxes uh, are really set for the next 35 years. And so uh, assuming they were able to lock in good long-term debt, that's been uh, certainly something of interest. But with rates going up, there's no doubt that cap rate expectations are going up as well. Uh, you ask about 421As that have recently expired. So th the question there then is how were the leases written? And I, I will tell you, I've been doing this 25 years and the level of complexity today, and you mentioned that sale on Eagle Street, to really get under the hood and understand, um, you know, the, look at the the riders on the apartment leases and to determine what happens when the tenant vacates can you charge a market rent i mean you really have to have good landlord tenant counsel to understand what you can do but yes if you have a 421a expired and the leases were written in the right way and you get those units back and you can now bring those rents to fair market that's hugely valuable for the reasons that i gave before yeah. And what are you seeing on like development site, you know, that, that side of things? Are you seeing, you know, price per buildable grow? Is, is land cost kind of, uh, my understanding is it's been pretty, you know, stagnant, hasn't, hasn't moved too much. So if you could talk a little bit about, you know, development site acquisition and, um, you know, how developers are kind of looking at costs, cost to build um, with the abatement kind of um, out of the picture, how would that kind of look for, a, a, you know, either established or incoming developer to the city? Yeah, so I think here neighborhood is and the type of project that you're planning on building is so important. And that's why it's essential that developers, you know, speak to a great residential firm like yours, where you can advise what's in the pipeline, because there's some markets where there's so much inventory that you're going to be competing with that for years, whereas there's other submarkets where there's no product. And so I think as a developer, it's really important to understand what is the pipeline, what's in demand, uh, really working closely with your broker to understand what what is the layouts, what are the amenities, the unit sizes that are really driving the premium prices that are in demand. Yeah, we've talked a ton about the kind of like race for or to uh, build and deliver, you know, highly amenitized product. Um, we're seeing development dollars kind of continue to flood into Harlem, flood into Bushwick, uh, parts of East New York, Jamaica, Queens is starting to come up a lot, obviously the South Bronx. But yeah, those are kind of the markets that we're seeing uh, developers come to us question, you know, how, how the the longevity of that market might, you know, might look, uh, what current, you know, rents are. I think everyone's trying to kind of forecast the next, you know, what, whether it's six or 12 months to see where things are going to land. Um, coming out of last summer, coming out of, you know, 2022, where rents were, were peaking or have peaked, it's very hard to kind of, uh, you know, look into 2024 and understand where rents are going to kind of settle. So in terms of like our overall market trends, um, 
like who are the buyers in today's market? You know, I think you talked a little bit about the 1031 pool, um, foreign capital. Uh, how are you, your team, Avis and Young in general, kind of deploying um, creative marketing strategies? And maybe you can talk a little bit about some of those uh, buyer types and how you're, you're speaking to them. Sure. So it's uh, the overwhelming majority of investors in the market today are private uh, as opposed to institutional. So these are ultra high net worth individuals who are seeing an opportunity in the market where, again, a lot of the institutions are on the sidelines. Uh, many of them are buying all cash, so they don't need to finance. And we're also seeing a lot of those ultra high net worths from overseas. Uh, it's always amazing to me and what really makes New York such a valuable marketplace is we get demand from all over the world. One of the most recent trends is that we're seeing a tremendous amount of Japanese investors who are coming into the market buying multifamily. And it's very specific what they're looking for because it has to qualify for a program, a tax depreciation uh, 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 program that they, they have. And so, uh, it's important to know what to look for, but if, if you fit that mold, there, there's certainly a lot of demand for that. So, but yeah, foreign investment across the board. We've also seen a lot of companies, as I mentioned, take advantage of this market. Hyundai, for example, bought not only a $275 million office building down on Late Street for their offices, but they just bought the Liberty Inn uh, Hotel over on the far west side on 14th Street. I've no doubt they'll probably be opening up a showroom there. Uh, next to Rivian and Genesis and all these luxury car brands that are now in the meatpacking. So that's been interesting to watch as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just kind of wanted to understand some, uh, maybe some interesting deals that you guys are either working on or have sold. Um, I know you have a uh, interesting land deal uh, along the Hudson, I think. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about maybe some of your current, you can talk city, you can talk, you know, different asset class, uh, any Fun stories, any like uh, interesting deals that you have uh, either are working on currently or uh, have closed in the recent months? Well, uh, we just closed a boutique office building in Midtown last week uh, on East 52nd Street for $19.5 million. And I just still, it, it's wonderful to see the companies, and this was a financial services firm that wanted to be in Midtown and uh, take advantage of this market to buy their own location. So I think that's really exciting to see when you have end users who are stepping up buying their properties and establishing permanent routes. You know, we've seen the same thing in the retail space. We've seen a lot of restaurateurs step up and buy properties. Uh, also big retailers, we weren't involved in this sale, but Dyson bought a luxury retail on Madison Avenue and down in Soho uh one case over a hundred million dollar acquisition so that's also very helpful to the market to see these types of examples uh but i i would say um you know a lot of the sales and at this point we've closed uh, i think we're up to 34 sales on the year we have another 15 or so in contract you know a, a lot of these are not glamorous in the sense that you know a lot of the trades i mentioned are below 25 million dollars but it does, especially with the multifamily, it is really important to understand what you're selling. And we go to great lengths. And I know Brandon Polakoff, who I've, I know you've had on the show as well. I mean, he, he's, um, you know, what he is able to do up front working with clients. And I think years ago it was clients had the attitude, well, look, it's as is, where is, let the buyer figure it out. 
in this market, you're just not going to sell property that way. I mean, you almost have to address it head on uh, and do the work up front so you can at least let the buyer know what they're getting into. Now, of course, at the end of the day, they're going to have to do their own diligence because you're not going to represent, but you're going to at least show them the roadmap. And so that just helps you get to the finish line that much sooner. So it's so much more important today to do that work up front to ensure a smooth sale. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Dyson does with that space. I'm assuming maybe some experiential retail um, to promote the brand, but you can't ask for a better corridor than uh, down in Soho. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the the book. I think last we talked, you were just getting ready to launch it. Um, for those who don't do not know, uh, James re- launched his first book, The uh, Insider's Edge to Real Estate Investing, uh, synonymous with podcast name. And uh, I've been an avid listener to that as well. So How's the book been going? I know you've been promoting it, um, working, you know, on on podcast episodes. It seems like every week, um, but the, you know, the experience and the stories and the, you know, uh, genuine care for you know, uh, giving and telling these stories to the brokerage community and to clients alike has been, you know, helpful for for me. I'm sure helpful for the team and for other brokers that are you know aspiring to do what you've done. So, just wanted to get a kind of update on on the book and the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Adrian, for sharing that. And it was a lot of work and effort that went into the book. And I had a great team and a writing partner and Rachel Hartman to do that. And we really wanted to make sure that it, we were able to reach um, as many people as we could. And so we did make a real big push after the launch earlier uh, this year, January. And we're really thrilled to see it end up on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And Again, that, that's just a way to kind of put it up on their platform so more people see it and get it out there. And the goal is for those who are interested in getting into real estate investing uh, or even veterans who've been doing this for decades who want to step up their game. We wanted this book to be really practical and actionable. I didn't want this just to be, uh, you know, trying to give um you know, just encouragement, it really has to be the practical how-to. And so the goal is someone who has never invested in real estate before would read the book and say, okay, I understand how to do this. I understand the players. I understand the approach, who I need to, how I go find an opportunity, what to look for, how to reposition it, how to raise capital, how to close, reposition, really from start to finish. And so what's been really gratifying to hear, especially a lot of the students, and I've spent a lot of time speaking at schools, guest lecturing. And, you know, the feedback I've gotten from a lot of the students, even the ones in master's programs or James, I wish I had this book before I started school, because it really is the roadmap that tells you the overarching picture of how this works. And then as you go in and study and you learn each piece, it's really helpful. So you understand all the players. And had clients come back and tell me, you know, James, I've, I've already recommended your book, son, daughter, friends of the family who want to get into the business. And that's really great to hear. And again, the reason why I uh, wrote the book in the first place was for 20 years, people would ask me, James, what's the book that teaches you how to invest in real estate? And there was a lot of the fix it, flip it, how to get rich quick, rich dad, poor dad. That's, you know, fine to get started, right? But then what do you do when you want to actually make a more serious uh, investment and go beyond just the the duplex, fix it, flip it kind of thing. So it's been really great to get that feedback. And the podcast uh, really builds on that uh, and hearing 
know, at this point, I think I'm up to over 170 episodes and hearing how other people got their start and how they built up their portfolios. I mean, I learn a ton from doing it. So course, it's been really an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, hearing the case studies and then taking those case studies into a book with a kind of a process oriented approach on the ground, you know, what people are doing day to day versus just, you know, to your point, uh, rich dad, poor dad, you know, it's a that's zoomed out 30,000 feet, you know, above um, kind of operational uh, process. So, you know, the book is great. The podcast is also great. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Well, Adrian, this was a lot of fun as always. And I uh, appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.